0: Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there.
1: People can read emotions. I mean, we're social creatures, so if you're up there You know, I used to tell a joke for, I think it was like six straight years about hitting a pheasant with my car. And my buddies watched a set of mine once and they go, what were you thinking about up there when you were telling that joke? And I go, I was thinking about what I was going to order when I got off stage. How did you know that? And they are like, well, your eyes glazed over and you became like a robot. (laughs) Well, I think when you're emotionally involved in what you're saying, people feel it. Hot breath. Welcome back, Hot Breath
0: Averse, to yet another Hot Breath podcast. This is the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and I'm thrilled to bring you today's episode. We here at Hot Breath are on a mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics, and our guest today is one of today's great comics. He's been one of our most highly requested guests not only because he's funny, but because he has designed a career in his own terms. That is what we are looking for here at Hot Breath with that next generation, is to be self-made comics. And we try to help each of you do that, whether it's with our daily writing club on YouTube, whether it is our online comedy classes, whether it is our monthly workshops. However, we can help the next generation of comics is what we want to do here. And today's interview is going to help a lot of you. So, if you do find this helpful, even one tip you find helpful, share this with another comic. That's how we grow. That's how we help that next generation of great comics become that much greater. So, with all that being said, there is only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Chad. Daniel. Our guest today, we've done over 300 interviews, but our guest today is one of our most highly demanded. This guy knows comedy in and out and we're so excited to learn as much from him as possible. So without further ado, welcome to the hot breath of the one only, Mr. Chad Daniels, everyone. Welcome, Mr. Daniels, to the Thank show. Thank
1: you very much. There's a lot of pressure. You think you're going to learn something from me? I don't <laughs> know that my children or any one of my friends would agree, but let's give it a chance. Let's give it a roll.
0: Yes. that's When interviewing a comic, we, I learned we got to get the self-deprecation out of the way up front. We just got to get sure. that out of the way before we yeah, jump I, in.
1: I'm being serious. I just don't want people to have these high expectations.
0: Oh, should they not have high expectations for you, Chad? We'll see. I mean, we have to just wait till the end. Okay. Well, jumping right into it, something that I've learned in researching you is um, you like comedy, you enjoy comedians, but there's also that reality of comedy. I've heard you tell a story about, you know, you hear of a comic saying, I paid my dues waiting an hour outside the comedy store. And then you're like, oh, well, my dues were sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. You know, if you could, there's a lot of young comics that listen, if you could kind of share some just reality from a comic who started in 1998, some reality of what, what does it mean to pay your dues in comedy?
1: Well, I think it's just, um, you know, there's a, there's a guy out of Cincinnati. There's, well, there are so many comedians in Cincinnati that are so terrific, but there's one in particular, his name's Lee Kimbrell, who I think about, and he, um, Actually, brought him to Atlanta last time I was there. He was gracious enough to to come with me, and he has this old school comedy soul where it's like you can tell he just wants to be part of it. He wants to be doing it as much as possible. You know, I had uh, a guy, and I, you know, I hate to talk poorly, but I had a guy that I said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to Grand." He said, "Do you need an opener anytime I go? I'm going to Grand Rapids, but here's the deal: it's like they they pay this." And he goes, Oh, I could never I could never go for that much. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I remember driving and this is like an old man story. Hey, <laughs> back when I started, but I remember driving somewhere. It was it didn't even cover the gas money just to get stage time. And I think that stage time is so invaluable, especially I mean, everyone doing Zoom shows is like, Yeah, no shit. Stage time is valuable because we're not getting any, nobody is, unless you can sell yeah. out a a drive in theater, but um, you know, the reality is it's, it's really the only way to do stand-up comedy is stage time. Uh, yep. as far as, as far as live in the clubs and getting better at it. So, um, you know, the reality is sometimes you have to eat it. Sometimes it needs to be, you know, people are so excited to go, ah, oh, Hey, I'm a comedian. I'm a comedian. I do this for, I do this. And it's like, great. But sometimes you're going to have to not even get paid or get paid less than the gas it took you to get there or, mm. or whatever it is. I mean, you really do have to put in, put in the groundwork and times are changing. You know, I'm, I'm stubborn. I don't do zoom shows. I won't do stand up on zoom because listen, I'm a real bitch and a baby when I'm on stage and if I'm not getting the laughs that I want, I'll yeah. tell the crowd. I go, Hey, you're not doing your job. I'm, you know, whatever. And I can't even imagine how bad I would lose my mind on a Zoom show. (laughs) But we were talking before the mics were hot and you were saying you do this writing seminar and you do, you know, all like the the, uh, fix a joke on Facebook and all that stuff. And and that's going to be really important because eventually shows are going to start happening again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be you and your group and the people that are doing that across America that are, are building a foundation. So they have the tons of stuff to go out with. And then you're going to have old stubborn guys like me that are going to get left in the dust. Cause we're like, yeah, I didn't do shit. I walked my dog. I raked my leaves. I have no more funny stories for since March 8th. So uh, I think what you guys are doing is very important too, as you know, with, with the new climate of comedy. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for
0: saying that. And it it is tough. And it all started, honestly, with me being in comedy 10 years and all of a sudden all my road work is gone. And I'm like, sure. What am I going to do? And it was kind of like, I need some sort of accountability, you know, is what I started to like ask, okay, how can I be accountable? I guess I'll start writing online every day. And I would just film myself writing for 10 minutes, you know, and saying like, here's what I came up with. And it just kind of organically grew into this online community that um has been it's been a game changer for me and for a lot of the people in it and i i do feel inspired that there are comics who do like the feedback mic in our facebook group and things that then sure. say i did it at a zoom show and it worked really well or i did it at a live show and it worked really well but it's you got to be willing to do the work at the end of the day like you can get all Absolutely. the techniques you can get all the tips but you've got to get on stage and put them to work
1: yeah that's true There. So many talented people in this industry, but the amount of talent it takes to just go up and wing it 100% is off the charts. And you, you rarely see somebody that can do something like that. Yes.
0: Yes. But that's, I feel like that's a, a, a young comic, like, um, what is it? Mirage, where you see like Dave Chappelle talking and they're like, oh, he's just talking. I could do that. Right. And then the uh, the you may strike you may strike lightning once, but that's not sustainable. If you just go up and riff and then be like, "Oh, I'm the magical comic. I I hacked it." It's like no. right.
1: And and once you know, you have to have such a plethora of knowledge mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, you need such a vast pond from which to grab these facts and situations, and, because if you're riffing. Hey man, there's a good chance you're gonna be wrong eventually, and that's no fun either. Because once once that little crack shows up, that little crack in the dam, the crowd's gonna start picking at it and picking at it, and it is not fun. It's like blood in the water. So
0: it's it's that moment when the laughs get quieter and quieter, and then the the harder you fight, like the tighter you get into the quicksand. It's
1: yeah, absolutely, such a bad feeling. <laughs>
0: What is that like? I I, th- I read where you, on your like your Comedy Central taping in like 2008, I think the audience wasn't laughing loud enough, and
1: you like called them out on it. Is that something you did? Well, it is. I mean, so here's the situation. Let me. I, I don't sound like an <laughs> asshole my whole career, but so you know, you you work hard and you're out on the road and you finally get this this break and you want it to go well. Mm-hmm. and there was a a show that ended up on XM. I, I believe at the time it was a New York terrestrial radio show uh, and it was Opie and Anthony it was called uh, yeah. and Robert Kelly who is just so fantastically funny yeah. and just such a good dude as well but um, he, he was set to go up with another comedian that I'm not going to name but then that comedian didn't want to share the crowd with Robert Kelly because Robert Kelly's show sold out first out of all of the taping. So how it works is two comedians share the same crowd. Mm -hmm. So they basically get, you know, just over an hour of material because you're doing 40 so they can do edits and stuff. And then he was huge on Opie and Anthony and Opie, all these Opie and Anthony guys, I'm going to tell you, they are people that, uh, you know, a lot of them in the front row had uh, chains outside of turtlenecks. It just, it felt very what I, I'm from Minnesota. Right. So it, it felt very Bon Jovi to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they weren't laughing and they were sitting with their arms folded and stuff. And so I just, I absolutely unleashed on them. And then it was great after that. It was so much fun. Uh, I told them, you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do a full hour twenty. You're not gonna see Robert Kelly. I just kind of <laughs> basically said, "I know you don't know who I am, but God damn it, laugh anyways." And yeah. and uh, and they were very nice and and came around and decided like, "Oh, all right, this little punk actually wants this to go well." So uh, yes, but but it was fun. And I, I told Robert Kelly that story um, in Montreal a couple of years ago, and man, he he was just laughing at the fact that he almost, uh, you know, took the train off the tracks there.
0: Yeah. He, um, yeah, we had him on here and it, it was a good interview after he stopped roasting me, him, (laughs) him and Rich Voss just had to like break me in before we could even get to the (laughs) the interviews. Absolutely. uh, Yep.
1: That makes sense.
0: (laughs) What is like, what is the worst? I always ask comics on here, like a story of getting booed or just like their most unforgettable bomb. What is that for you?
1: Um, I've had, I've had several, I was in, uh, doing a bar show. There was a Confederate flag up in front of me and the comedian that came with me, friend of mine, African-American guy. And he went up and he's like doing the old, Hey, this is funny. And this is funny. And I went up and I was just like, as I was watching my friend do this, I was getting more upset and more upset. And so I went on stage and took the flag down. And, uh, you know, told them blah, blah, blah. And then this guy, probably not loaded, I will say, but did wave a gun. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you got to be kidding me right now. (laughs) Over a backdrop. I mean, (laughs) come on. At least they didn't throw anything at you. Yeah, it's very true. But there were, uh, it was booing, loud booing. And then I'm sure other words with hard Ks at the end. Hmm.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Those are nobody. That's another thing I like young comics to hear is just people, the stories of people bombing. So they know that they're not the only ones. Like I feel like comics feel like you graduate from bombing at some point, but
1: (laughs) I feel like no one's really immune to it. Sure. I heard a great story that Bill Burr was telling that, um, you know, he, he was starting to get, uh, starting to sell tickets from people that knew what they were getting into. And so he was just on this, you know, automatic crush mode. Mm-hmm. And then he went in to do a guest set in Chicago. But the comedian that was headlining that week, they were completely opposite of what Bill Burr is. And so a lot of the people in the room didn't know who Bill Burr was. And so Bill Burr struggled for a while to get them back. And And that is saying something too. It's like when you do get a crowd, it is nice to go out, and try to make people laugh that aren't part of your crowd to see if your jokes, it's like, do these work all over the place? Or, uh, you know, are they just working because people are here to, to see me?
0: Yeah. That's something I had to discipline myself. I started comedy in Atlanta so I could do like, go to the hood of Atlanta and do a spot, go to the hipster bar and do a spot and then like go to like uh like the punchline and do a spot. And it was kind of like, if a joke worked in one place and not the other, then I would get rid of it because it would, it would be like super specific to that audience and not translate sure. when I, when I'm in like, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina or something like yeah, that. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's a good move. And and same with like local references and everything like yeah. that. Cause there are times where I'll be watching and someone will be like, and I can't believe these assholes from Pondaluca and everyone goes nuts. And I just go, <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't know Pondaluca. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah.
0: What do you do when you have a joke that's working and then all of a sudden it stops working?
1: Well, I record every single set that I do on my phone. And so nice. I just go back a month before and see, and I pull that little chunk out of the set.
2: Mm-hmm. And then I
1: listen to them one after another to see what's different. And because that that's all it'll take. It'll take, you know, you add something that you think is funny, but it's a sentence that doesn't need to be there. And it takes, whatever it's dividing, there's too big of a lull in it to, it's not a bridge, it's more of a gap. Mm-hmm. And so you'll end up losing momentum and it'll take it from, you know, a hard laugh to a chuckle, or sometimes even an applause break to a confused look. I mean, it can be that significant, so.
0: Jeez. Oh, wow. That's. so yeah. I
1: I mean, I I say record every single, every single set. That way you just have reference to go back.
0: But it's recording as one level and then actually listening to it is it's like another level of responsibility comics have to remember to do.
1: Yeah. You just I mean, I get a coffee and it's the first thing I do in the morning because I can't stand my own voice. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know that considering I've let you say four words so far.
0: <laughs> you're doing but, great, Chad. <laughs> but, uh, you're the guest. You're supposed to be the one talking.
1: <laughs> but, but yeah, you just, you have to listen to it. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's, you know how you can watch another comedian and then you're like, oh, I got a tag for you. I mean, when you listen to yourself, if you really listen and dial it in, you'll come up with tags and, and figure out why stuff doesn't work and why it is working and whatever else. So,
0: yeah, I'll consider listening as part of writing. Like cuz you do find sure. new tags and ideas f- just from listening to a set. Yeah, that's true. Do you do pen to paper? Like how do you And actually this will be I um your your iHop story. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we could use this as almost like a template for your writing, your uh, writing technique, but you have this story of you going to iHop with your family and then something happens. So as a comedian, we're always looking in life of like, oh, how can I take that to stage? But how do you take an experience like going to Waffle House with your family and making it a joke that's like laugh, 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 laugh?
1: I was actually in a car with uh, just just hilarious comedian out of St. Louis, Sean O'Brien, and he makes me laugh so hard. And I was telling him this story, and you know, he's kind of a um, he's an East coast guy. And so he's got that kind of tough edge to him and doesn't laugh at everything you say. If it's stupid, he'll just look at you. And I was telling him this story because it just happened. And he was laughing so hard. And he goes, you, you tell that on stage. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not doing a bit on you. And he goes, you have to. So St. Louis was the first place I tried it because I told my buddy Sean about it. And he's like, you got to do that on stage. And so I brought the, the bones of it on stage. And then you try to figure out you know, what else can I do here? How can I, you know, the end of it is a callback to a joke about my son. And so figure it out. But I think for me getting, putting a story on stage is do you think it's funny? You know, if something happens to me that morning, I always do it on stage just to see. But when a, when someone who doesn't laugh at everything and you find incredibly funny laughs, then I think that's a good tester to, to bring it up there. And when you say you bring the
0: bones on stage, do you like, you tell the story to Sean and then do you then go and kind of create an outline of like different beats within the story that are the bones of it?
1: Well, I just knew that the main punchline of the story was going to work because, it, you know, it was, that's what made me laugh. That's what made Sean laugh the hardest. And so I knew as long as I could get there and then you try to get little laughs on the way there you know, and try to build them up af- show after show. And that's why I record. But, um, one, yeah, if you have a big laugh that, you know, even if it takes you a minute to get to an applause break, mm-hmm. then, you know, you can go back and find laughs before that to build up to it. So, you know, that's what I talk about. The bones is that one big laugh and an actual, a story around it, even if it's not that funny, because then you'll be able to get be able to shake the funny out of it eventually. And do you find the
0: laughs along the way? And I'm assuming the big line is, is your daughter, what your daughter says? Is that like the big yeah. laugh? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So is it, in finding, leading up to that line, is it like to add laughs? Is it details? Is it, do you have like a checklist of almost, okay, I need to add some funny to this story. Let me look for contrasting ideas or let me look for misdirects. Do you kind of go through a mental checklist? Well, I
1: try not to do too many misdirects. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just try to, to paint a picture with la- just tr- to try to really build up to what I know is going to work. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's details, whether it's letting the people in on, you know, a very personal aspect of your life. For example, I bring my kids to IHOP. I show them pictures of the city that I was just in. Um, and then you, t- then you, you, you know, you can make fun of IHOP. It's the fact that the tables there are so incredibly sticky. And of course they are. It's an, it's a pancake place and syrup goes on pancake. Of course it's sticky, but everybody knows that. And everybody is like, yeah, gross. It is sticky. You know? So you kind of build and you kind of gain their trust with that first part of the story. And then you can go in and, you know, get the laughs and then the big laugh towards the end. And I I mean, I'm saying all this with the parenthetical, hopefully that's how it works, but not always.
0: Over time. I mean, I've heard Bert Kreischer say his machine story took him like four years or something like that to develop. So it's a process. Absolutely. And we got some questions popping in here as well. There's one more. uh, Napping while dreaming. Sean in the building. Matthew, zombie robot sheep. Sasha. Oh, a few Johns in here. Oh, good to see everyone. Dan and Shauna Maynard say hello.
1: Oh, right back at him.
0: Very nice. Evelyn in here as well. Bo, looks like a uh, Bo has a question here, and um, I do want to ask this before we jump into the uh, questions. And people watching, do um, do go ahead and post some questions in the comments, and we'll get Chad to
1: answer them for you. Well, before but we get started, a- let you let you said Dan Maynard said hello, and of course Shauna, but. I, I want to say to Dan Maynard, I want to say, you owe me an explanation on your Facebook post, brother. That's oh. it. That's that. I'm using this as a, as a way to get to him, to tell him, give me the deets. All right, I'm ready. Yeah, Dan.
0: <laughs> In your Shauna. face, Maynard. <laughs> oh, and Jeremy Alder says, hey, Chad, as well. And Michael Wuffelmeyer. very nice. Well,
1: look at this. Look at all the, the people showed up. We out here, so Jeremy, my son. Not a lot of people know that. Oh, he says, Dan says, you got it. So okay,
0: perfect. This is um, the the last thing I want to touch on before we get to uh viewer questions as well is uh about the business side of comedy and something you've had a lot of success with is streaming on the audio side. I mean, the number I heard was you've had over like seven hundred and fifty million streams. Sure on over across your five albums so like i'm not
1: sure what the number is it's something like that
0: it's like it's it's up there though and that's i just i just released um i self-produced my own comedy special and released it on my 10-year anniversary and i released the audio onto sirius so i've gotten a taste of residuals of like (laughs) what's possible with it you know sure sure so how um you can you can even direct this advice at me, if you would like, but more of like, how can comics build momentum on these streaming platforms? Cause they can be sustainable income really.
1: Okay. So how do we get people that are already on Pandora are already on Spotify, right? You can't really direct people to XM because that's, that's an extra, right? People have that and that's, they don't search you out on XM and Sirius; They just, they play you and that's it. Mm-hmm pandora and sirius however they have to search you out they have to make a station they have to do those things so what i did and i don't know if this would work for anyone else but i just got little beer coasters with the picture of my album it was called uh which one did i do footprints on the moon and then on the back of it it said um check out chat on pandora make a station and then it gave the I don't even know what it's called URL. And so I would hand those out after shows. I would just sit there and hang out and you know, they, they don't cost much in the grand scheme of things. And so I was like, "Ah, oh, you guys going to the bar next door. All right. Hey, here's some coasters. And sometimes you can get the uh, the club to put the coasters on the table and then people will just pocket them. And then they get home and in a, they're hung over the next day. So they're looking at this and like, oh, I got nothing else to do. Em chained to the toilet right now, may as well, blah, blah, blah. And they make a station. Then uh, all the people that have your station, there's something on Pandora called AMP, A-M-P, where you can make your own commercials, right? So right now I can make, uh, I'll pull this up while I'm doing this, but I can make uh, a commercial for, um, all right, so right now, Okay, so 428,000 active listeners and I can make a commercial that will go to all of them right when they start the station and it'll say like, hey, this is Chad Daniels. Thanks for listening to my station. Uh, Hey, check out, you know, this on this. Check out my new podcast, Middle of Summer. Check out blah, blah, blah. And then that's a commercial that goes out to everyone that has a station for you. So what you what you really are trying to do with this is get people to make a station of your standup. In order to have a station, you have to have content on Pandora of course. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people listen and I will tell you that Pandora and Spotify money is not the same as XM money. Um, it's like, you know, a, a very, very small fraction of a penny per listen. But, um, but that, that's the way to, to get there. And then you get people listening to it. You know, you're in a pandemic. You're not on the road. You have a podcast. People can mm-hmm. still listen to your material. It's accessible. It's free for them. Um, so that's, that's what I did. As far as like getting more lists, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Um, I'm certainly very thankful, but yeah. nobody gave me, you know, I sent a message to Pandora just openly. And I said, "Whoever put my stuff on all the stations, I'd like their name so I can send them something." And they wouldn't tell me. They were just like, "Keep sending us your album." I was like, "All right." So wow. it was, you know, I've had, um, I've worked hard, but I've had, man, have I had some luck and some some good people around me and in my corner. So, um, be nice be that that has been
0: such a common phrase we've been saying is be nice and be funny like period yeah, sure that's so it's what what are what are some other kind of strokes of luck that like that you've had throughout your career
1: i had so um i worked with a guy in all right let me start over In Minneapolis, there used to be two comedy clubs. One was Acme, where I started. The other one was at the Mall of America, and that was called Knuckleheads. And so, (laughs) the the guy that booked Knuckleheads, his name was Rich Miller, and he also booked Tulsa, San Antonio, and Austin, Texas. And so, once you emceed at Knuckleheads and were a Minneapolis guy and you were ready to feature, he would send you to Tulsa as like the test to get to go to San Antonio and Austin because those were his babies. Same with Austin. Austin has a great comedy scene and it was the same with them. When somebody was ready to feature, they'd send them to Tulsa to see if they could go to Minneapolis. So it was kind of a foreign exchange Ooh. student, a little bit of a foot flop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went down to Tulsa. I worked with a guy named John Morgan. He's out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he crushes, maybe harder than anyone I've ever seen crush. And we were in a condo together, which is basically to say the, the club buys a house so they don't have to pay for hotel rooms. And then you kind of just share the house. You have your own room, you have your own everything, but um, you share the house and John and I really hit it off. And John called, who did he call? He called Dave Stroop out of Columbus, Ohio, who books, I think all the funny bones, which is just like a massive amount of work. Um, he called Freddie DeMarco from uh, Deja Vu Comedy Club. Not, I know everyone thinks Deja Vu is a strip club, but it was Deja Vu Comedy Club in uh, in Missouri. And uh, those two gave me so much work. And Freddie DeMarco got me into auditioning for the Montreal Comedy Festival. And this is all because I happened to work with this guy and get along with him so well. And he was so nice and he just, he basically said, book this. So he normally you had to send a tape to get booked and he just called them both and said, nope, book them right now while, while I'm here, I want him to fill out his calendar. And my calendar was basically booked after that. And so, wow. uh, you know, that's one when I was very, very new, I was a bartender and I worked at a place called the Eagle's Nest. And uh, this lady named Ron and Cindy owned it. And this lady named Cindy, so wonderful. She would give me the week off to go work comedy. And then when I was back, she would give me the shifts of the people that had covered for me on the other week. So I was constantly working. And without that income, you know, I had a new baby. Uh, So without that income, there's just no, no way I would have been able to make that happen. And And uh, probably the biggest, and I know people, this might weird people out, but my ex-wife was the most uh, understanding and she, you know, she had all the faith in me in the world. And so if you don't have something like that, I mean, she basically worked full time. She's a college professor. And then she also watched two children and I know they're hers, but raised two children while I was on the road and she had faith in me. So she allowed me to do that. You know, I get a lot of young comedians are like, Oh, my girlfriend's pregnant. How did you make it work? And it's like, I don't know. This feels like a lightning strike. What happened to me because my ex is, you know, there's no way I'm at where I'm at right now without her support. No chance. Wow. And you say why she's your ex. Well, that's for the next podcast.
0: <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. We keep it comedy related. We don't want any
1: blue jokes in here. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it really is, it's, it's all of that stuff, you know? And so, wow. yeah, it's uh, like I said, you work hard, but you need some breaks.
0: Being nice and being funny. You were nice to the guy and you were funny and he was willing to like refer you. So being nice and being funny. Sure. Nice. Well, I'll, I want to wanna be nice and answer some other comics questions as well. All right. But we are, yeah. We're deep in here. Oh, this is, a, this is an interesting observation. AK40 says Chad is an underrated comic, I think. He's saying by choice, I think. Chad is an underrated comic by choice, I think. If he would have moved to L.A. or New York 10 years ago, he would be a household name.
1: That's very nice. We'll, do you we'll, agree? We'll never know.
0: We'll, well never there, know.
1: There are times, and this you know, is going to make me sound like Mr. Dad, but there are times people do ask me that in interviews. They'll ask, do you ever think about what you missed out on by not moving to LA or New York? And, and as lame as this sounds, I mean, the, the real answer is I know what I didn't miss out on. Mm by staying in Minnesota. So I mean, you know, my kids are, I think, for the most part, happy and well adjusted. And I was able to come back and just kind of have a home base. There's not comedy here. Right. So when I was home, that was it. I was just home. And um, so I guess I don't know. I mean, who knows? I might have stuck a needle in my arm and died in a gutter if I lived in LA. Nobody knows. But uh, that's very nice of AK-40 to say that. All right. Let's, let's scroll <laughs> needle in the arm. Got a little dark huh? needle in the arm. It just made I was me think. Just to... Taking it to a different, a whole different level.
0: All I could think, well, I knew you had worked with Mitch Hedberg, but I didn't know how closely. So I didn't know where, how closely the needle reference landed.
1: No, Mitch was uh man. Pfft. So talented. So Incredible. fantastic. How, how much did you work with him? I worked with him a lot. So, I started in Minneapolis, and I did open mics for a while, and then I got offered an audition to move to Grand Forks, North Dakota, which is just on the border of Minnesota and North Dakota, up closer to canada and i didn 't know anything about it, and I went up there for an audition week, and I had uh, Minneapolis legend Darlene Westgore was the feature and she, and Mitch Hedberg was the was the headliner on my audition week. And this was right after he signed his huge development deal in Montreal with Fox. He got a $500,000 development deal, pretty much unheard of at this point, but time had just come out with an article saying he was uh, the happy Stephen Wright, you know, just like he was getting so much momentum and so much press. And so when I got there, all these comedians from Minneapolis had, had driven up. And so I just left him alone. And then he sought me out cause I was leaving him alone to the point where we hung out all weekend. He had me in his room after shows because he just, he was like, I like you, I want you around, which was fascinating to me because I can be really annoying. But I mean, when I went back there after I got the gig, I was at a bar and I didn't have my ID. And, uh, one of the other bouncers, the bouncer was like, you can't come in, no way. And I was with the people that worked at the club and the bouncer was like, I don't care. And then another bouncer came up and goes, hey, let him in. That's Mitch Hedberg's friend. And I was like, holy shit. So I I don't know if Mitch Hedberg would have said that at that time. um, But it was pretty cool using someone else's coolness to be. (laughs) I've never done that before. And it felt (laughs) awesome. I totally get why people do it.
0: (laughs) <laughs> did did you guys keep in touch? Like, did you work together a lot more?
1: Yeah. So in the six months I was there, he came back two more times. Uh, Jeez. so he was, yeah, he was just like, everyone loved him so much. I mean, he packed the room and he was great friends with the owner, Chris, who's a, another fantastic guy. Um, and then Chris booked him. The guy that owned the club booked Mitch on some other gigs and let, and had me open for him. And so, uh, Actually, the, the first weekend I ever worked with Mitch on my audition week, he brought me down to open forum on a one-nighter on the Sunday night, which was uh, I thought was fascinating because I just felt the coolest I've ever felt. Yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> to do a one-nighter.
1: I love that. I mean, you know, he could actually, so cool. you know, those blue sunglasses that he was always wearing kind of famous for. Yeah. He bought those on the way from Minneapolis to Grand Forks that weekend so I just feel like a little, you know, I just such a comedy nerd. Oh, you are too. No, no. I, I mean, well, I, absolutely. I mean, I loved comedy since the time I was little, uh-huh. um, but just to, just to kind of be like, Oh, I, you know, I was there the weekend. He bought those glasses. It's so, it's so nerdy, but it's also <laughs> so fantastic.
0: Oh, of course. No, I I love that. I mean, Mitch was the guy, like oh, he's the comic I sounded like when I started. Like when a comic starts out, they just absorb whoever they hear. Mitch was the guy I sounded like. I just loved the structure and the absurdity and just the contrast. I mean, he was just, he was my favorite and still one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. Anytime Mitch would go to a city, everybody had that little pot smoker laugh mm-hmm. by the end of it. Every open micer, and I had the guy booked, Knuckleheads Rich. I told you about. He came up to me after a set and he goes. You start smoking weed then I don't know about it. And I was like, no. And he goes, well, then stop laughing like it. You sound like an idiot. And I was like, all right, thank you.
0: <laughs> That's why it's important to listen to your own sets also, because yeah, you'll. Sure. I found if I listen to myself, I sound like myself more. But if I listen to a comic too much, I start sounding like that comic.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. So let's see uh, a
0: few more. I just, I just Mitch. Yeah. Mitch Hedberg. He's just, yeah.
1: Um,
0: Oh, here's a Bo Johnson. Um, what do you do in those moments that you feel the material well is dry and you'll never write anything funny again?
1: Stop pushing it. That's what I do. Hmm. I mean, when I try to think of a name the, I can know the name before I start the story, I can actually think the name and then I start the story. I'm like, Oh, what's that name again? And then the more I think about it, the deeper it goes the deeper it buries itself. So when I'm not writing, I just, I don't write. And then eventually it slowly comes back and then you'll find, you know, you won't write anything for three months and then you'll write 45 minutes of material in three weeks. So, um, I just wouldn't put that much pressure on it cause it will come back. Mm. So you're at more, least, at me- least for me, I can't tell Bo Johnson that it will come back for them, but, mm-hmm. For me, it does.
0: Yeah, that's, it's always interesting to ask comics that because like, we talked to Ted Alexandro and he's like, write every day regardless type deal and showing up and doing the work, You know, treating it like a job. You go to other jobs when you don't feel like it. So he's like, so write when you don't feel like it. But for you, it's more of like, if you don't, you don't force it. And then when, when it does reveal itself, you really
1: tap into it. Well, I will write what's happening. I'll journal I will write what's happening in my life. But if I'm not feeling funny and I get frustrated, I just journal as I would actually journal, right? I just, that way I don't forget the stories. I don't forget what's happening. I don't forget my, you know, emotional presence in a story. So I, I still have that to look back on and I'll, Tommy Johnigan does that too. Go back. He'll put the journal away for a month, go back and look at it.
0: Yeah. And this ties in, uh, Jason Fox asking, uh, do you have a regular writing schedule? Do you already have something in mind or you just start writing whatever comes to mind?
1: Normally I have to have something. I have to have a little tidbit of an idea and I don't necessarily have a schedule. I mean, there are times where I'll have to turn off a TV show or I'll have to leave a movie theater so I can write some stuff down in my notes. Mm -hmm. Um, well, this was back when I went to movies, but, um, bedtime is a big one for me. I, you know, I go to bed at old man time and there are times where I'm still up at midnight leaning over my little end table by my bed, writing stuff. So it just depicts, you know, um, it strikes when it strikes and you think about it when, when you think about it. So I would just say, actually, speaking of Hedberg has that great joke. Um, sometimes i'll think of a bed i am going to butcher it, but sometimes I'll think of a joke in bed, and a pen won't be close to me, so I have to spend the next five minutes telling myself it wasn't funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I would say always have a pen on you or your you know your phone with your notes app or whatever it is but
0: yes, yes, honor the ideas by writing them down
1: sure that's yeah, what, and you seem yeah. I could have said that You've whole always, thing go ahead, I could why well, just you're way better at paraphrasing. I'm talking for five minutes and then you're like, honor the ideas. I'm like, oh yeah, three <laughs> words I could have said right there. That sounds good.
0: No, you, you had a lot of gold in there. I just wanted to uh, boil it <laughs> down for the comics here. You know, word economy, you know, mm, comedy mm-hmm. is brevity. Um, this, is, uh, this is interesting. This is from Alejandro. Uh what can we do when the people misinterpret a joke and a heckler screams racist
1: Ooh it's interesting Um well that at that point it it depends you can say you know you can react however you want how i would do it is i don't say anything on stage that i don't believe in and that i haven't thought about I mean there are times something will come off the cuff mm-hmm. and if and if I say it and I'm like, oh, that didn't feel right. I will immediately say, hold on, that didn't feel right. And then I'll break it down with the audience in the room. Huh. Um, just because it's like, if you had to hear me say those words, then you're also going to hear me figure out why I thought they were wrong. What I think would be right. We're going to sit through this together. Um, but I would say if you really believe in something and you have the facts to back it up, then ask, I would just ask why they think it's racist. You know, I would, I would start a dialogue. I mean, cool. I can't do colleges anymore unless I just do a town hall meeting. So I'll start off with one bit and then we'll go around the room. I I would do 15 minutes of material and you know, my college shows last an hour and it's cause we're just talking about the material. Cause I think when you let people voice their opinion, they're going to have it, right? But then you have an opportunity to not only figure it out with that one person, but all the other ears are hearing it, the dialogue too. So I think it's just an opportunity when someone calls you a racist to say, why do you think that? Wow, that's gold. Ooh-wee. I don't know if that's true. It might get somebody shot, but that's my answer. Alejandro's
0: going to get <laughs> I had a similar experience. Like I have a joke in my special – comparing uh, Chinese people to Mexicans, because I, I was a dishwasher. It all started, I was a dishwasher, I was working with Mexicans. And I was like, we use Mexicans for X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, we also do that with Chinese people. So then I was starting to brainstorm what other parallels there are. But in working that joke out, I did get heckled as I was racist several times, working it out, because I'm just so white. I look like the white devil. Like, I'm just his son, I swear. But I really, me just saying another race makes people uncomfortable. Sure. So I had to over time find what the funny angle on it was and not me just saying Mexican and Chinese people.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. There's, uh, there's certain words for guys that have faces like you and I that no one wants to hear come out of them. Mm-hmm. And for great reason, historically. Great reasons, yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: yes, or, or sad reasons, but understandable reasons for sure. Um, let me. There was one more in here I want to slide, and then we I, we have a special guest I want to bring on here. Um, where'd it go? Here it is. Uh, Jeremy Alder.
1: Uh my son. Yes.
0: Yes, your son. Yeah, you guys do look a lot alike.
1: We so we were at a, a brewery in North Carolina. I think it was at the brewery. Yes, it was for sure. And uh doing a show for uh my college agent. And these girls came up to me and go, You look like his son. And he's like two years younger than me, that piece of shit. He <laughs> <laughs> looks so good. Uh, it makes me furious. Well, I thought you I thought you were kidding, but you actually know
0: Jeremy. I do. Oh, that's great. Yeah, he's he's been uh hanging out in our daily writing club as well. That's awesome. Oh
1: yeah, that makes sense. He's uh, fantastically funny.
0: Very nice. All right, Jeremy, representing the Hot Breathiverse here. So he asks, uh, have there been moments in your development when you could tell you had leveled up in your ability in some way, that you had reached a new level in your skill?
1: Uh, I I think all those moments came in hindsight. Mm. You know, I don't think I've ever felt... Well, I guess that's not true because I have... Let me, I'm going to explain it this way. There have been times where I have seen people get things, i.e. Comedy Central specials, and I go, well, I could do that. I should do that. right?" And you have that thought before you do it. Mm-hmm. And then you do it, and then afterwards, you're like, I don't think I was ready for that. A couple years later, you were like, I would have much rather done it now than then. Why was I beating the door down to show off my mediocrity. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, I think that, yeah, I mean, some things come in hindsight. All comedians know that when you record an album or have a special, you'll watch it or listen and go, that joke wasn't finished. That one wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And you know, the crowd doesn't know that because they're having fun and and they don't know that you could have added another level or, or whatever. But, um, so I don't think in the moment I ever feel that way, but there are times, where I can look back and just, you know, not be such a harsh critic and I can go, oh, I guess that is the, around the time when this happened or uh, when I feel like, um, you know, I, I I used to make fun of individuals in the crowd for not laughing. And now I, I refuse to do that. I'll, I will give them percentages because that way people have a, a choice. They can, everyone wants to be part of the majority, right? So. If you say, ah, 14% of you are not laughing right now. And uh, but the great news, 86, that's a, that's a huge number. And then people, you know, some people won't like you and they'll be like, yep, 14 right here. But some people will be on the fence and not even know they weren't laughing because they're not outward laughers. And they'll mm-hmm. go, well, I want to be part of the 86. Does he think I'm part of the 14? So instead of calling out individuals, I started doing that. And that's one of those moments where I thought, oh, this is a way smarter way to go about it
0: fun oh that's a fun another fun tip there yeah
1: you to don't you you dare steal it don't you you dare (laughs) take my percentage
0: (laughs) oh they're gonna be in the back of the room oh he's doing the chad daniels percentage thing (laughs) yeah yeah classic classic hack right there
1: classic daniels he loves a good percentage
0: (laughs) so let's uh let's get into in these final few minutes here we have um a special guest I want to bring on because a lot of these podcasts, um, uh, the guests, the, uh, the fans actually book guests on the podcast and you, I've been a fan of yours for years, but one of our listeners actually took action and reached out to you on social oh. media and made this whole thing happen. So Wonderful. I thought, I thought he's, a, he's a newer comic actually based here in the Atlanta area, but he's already producing his own shows. He's already doing like a lot. Of, uh, he's taking a lot of action in his career, which is what we're all about here at Hot Breath. Nobody conference. likes
1: a go getter, but, anyways, yes. <laughs> create your own success
0: <laughs> is what we like here. So, um, I just want to bring him on for a few minutes to uh, like just ask some questions to you because I know he's awesome. a big fan as well. So, ladies and gentlemen of the Hot Breathiverse, welcome the one and only John Chapel, everyone. Let's welcome John Chapel. Hey, Johnny. Can you, can you, you're sideways. There we go. And are you at a
2: show right now? I'm outside an open mic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, this is a John and Chad. John, he's
1: here. You did it, man.
2: Thank you for coming. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for getting me on.
2: Yeah. We've already learned so much in the first part. So,
1: Have you gone up at the open mic yet or are you waiting to go up? No, I'm waiting. It starts
2: in about 15 minutes. So. Oh, I got
1: you. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Did you have questions for chat or anything, John?
2: I do. I have a few questions. Sure. So uh, one of the questions I had is, being that you're in comedy for over 20 years now, was there any point where you thought about quitting? Ooh.
1: Almost daily. <laughs> and I, And I know that seems like a funny answer, but there are, you know, it's, when you have children and you travel and um, you have a wife at home and you're at airports and you almost have to turn on a psychopath gene, which we all have to leave your loved ones to go eat shit in front of strangers. I mean, there's something that you you almost have to break it in a specific way for it to make sense. And uh, you know, There are times where you're just like, what am I doing out here? But then that's a little part of the day. The majority of the day you're like, I don't know what else I would do. This is what I want to do. It's what I've always wanted to do since I was little. Uh, Someday, if I'm present with my kids, if I never miss anything important, they, I hope, will understand. And, you know, my 21-year-old and 16-year-old, we've had so many conversations about this, and, and they seem to understand that um, that I just probably wouldn't have been as happy drywalling or something.
2: <laughs> yep. Gotcha. And How about you? Well, I've only been in for eight months. I did uh, three open mics before COVID hit. So I just okay. wrote, wrote for most of it.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So eight months, 30 days, it's 240. You've thought about quitting 240 times. <laughs> it makes sense to I, me. It's just quick. That adds man. up.
2: I don't think I'm at the point where I've thought about quitting yet. Sure. I'm no, still in the, uh, what do they call that? The, uh, the honeymoon phase. Honey, honeymoon phase. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So it's, it's just nice to get on stage and get more comfortable.
1: I agree. You know, my last show uh, before summer was in Spokane. That was March 11th and I didn't go back on the road until the end of July. And I had some shows in St. Louis and Indy and uh, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana and Columbus, Ohio. And I just, man oh man getting back on stage and having people allow you to kick the rust off without freaking out and being like this is horrible spit it out fat tongue you know it was really nice to have the support of, of the people and you know we, we just went through an election and this country's torn but i will tell you this it's like you got people coming in who voted for one guy people coming in who voted for another guy and they just wanted to be part of a good show and a fun show and and you know not to sound too douchey and like, likeLatida, let's get together," but it, you see it happening all the time, so you know I, I I think that I know you didn't ask me about politics, but I think the media loves to drive the divide home, but when you go out in public, especially at a comedy club and you're there, it's like people really do seem to be to be getting along and just want to have fun,
2: definitely. So um, I have another question. One of my favorite bits of yours is the locker boxing bit.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: And I'm just curious how that came about because it just, it seems like it would not be organic. It, it seems like it would have taken a lot of thought.
1: Well, it didn't. I mean, I, I hate to disappoint you, but. <laughs> um, Russian dreams out here. <laughs> I just, Well, I just have a very, uh, a very kind of different way of parenting where, um, you know, my kids tell me everything. I tell my kids everything. We don't have any secrets. It's, you know, my daughter was at school the other day and she got a really bad cramp and she made a noise and this boy looked at her and she goes, I'm menstruating. And he looked like he was going to vomit. He was so sick to his stomach and she doesn't realize that, you know, she talks about it all the time when she's home and I talk about it with her. She doesn't realize not all dudes talk about it all the time. So, Mm -hmm. which I think they should, it'd be a lot easier for everybody. But um, so if you remember the bit before the locker boxing, I made a a chain where I ripped off a piece of the chain every day up until my son's 18th birthday, because I was going to punch him in the face. And I, I really, really was going to. (laughs) But when he came downstairs, I couldn't do it (laughs) because, you know, you think about it, you're like, this is my baby boy. I'm not going to punch him in his face. So, and then we went outside and we, we locker boxed. And then everything, as I tell the story, I mean, that's one of those, we talked about luck, Joel, earlier. This is one of these, these bits that's lucky because it was just presented to me nonstop. It's like, Oh, you think the joke is over with the locker boxing outside? It isn't. Here's an email that tells you what, you know, this Urban Dictionary says locker boxing is. And I was like, oh, wow, that's another punchline. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just kept kind of coming in naturally. I didn't really have to do much with it besides tell the story.
2: Now, my understanding is that it wasn't actually in Urban Dictionary, was it? It didn't go in until after your special came out?
1: Well, I took a picture of it. uh, Excuse me, the guy in, I think it was West... What am I thinking of? Arkansas. What's the capital of Arkansas? Why can't I think of it? Little Rock. Thank you. West or West Little Rock? Maybe. Anyways, sent me an email with a screenshot of it from Urban Dictionary. I think the thing that changed is in the definition, it uses part of my joke as like the how to, you know how they always use the word in a sentence? i think I think that they changed it to a part of my joke to to for that sentence. I think that's what changed okay yeah
2: what was the bit before the the pubic hair uh
1: that that brought me to the locker boxing?
2: Yeah, you were said you were breaking the chain
1: oh was right so so I just had a bit um from a, the album before I think where I had made a construction paper chain, like you do when you're a little kid for Christmas and you rip off one of the links every day until Christmas. Well, I was ripping off one of the links every day until his 18th birthday, so I could punch him in the face. And I, it, was, <laughs> it was in our house with a gold link at the end of it. And so he knew it was coming too.
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I have, a, <laughs> I have a 20-year-old and 18-year-old daughter. So okay, we talk about menstruation a lot too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, you can't, uh, you know, all the quiet, all, I mean, imagine being a young woman and going through all this stuff and then one of the two people that are supposed to help you get through life shuts down and doesn't talk to you about it. That just seems incredibly insane to me. Definitely.
2: Um, One other question. Uh, at what point in your career were you at when you stopped doing open mics and I assume it's because you were doing enough shows that you didn't have to do open mics anymore. Is that right?
1: Well, I love open mics and I would continue to do them. However, I live in a place I was talking to Joel earlier there, there isn't isn't stand-up. So, I mean, if I was going to do open mics, I'd have to do like a, a Pat McGann surprise show on his kids during quarantine. I don't know if you guys saw those. Pat McGann is just such a funny comedian, incredible from Chicago, uh, has a new special out. Uh, And he would just, his kids would be watching TV and he's like, it's time for the surprise show. And he'd walk out and his kids would be like, dad, come on. And he's like doing bits about them. Oh, so funny. But, uh, why did I, why did I tell you that? I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, open mic. So, so that's basically what I would have to do to have an open mic. I would just have to do it in front of my son and daughter. Um, Anytime I can do an open mic, I, I choose to, like, if I'm in a town where, you know, you're doing a show on Thursday and there's a later open mic, I try to get to that open mic just because it's fun. And even if you don't go up, it's awesome to see that, that new comedian excitement. Yeah. You know, sometimes you forget cause you're on the road and it's like, Oh God, I've been on the road for 10 straight days and, I, you know it, sometimes it feels like work not always not i mean not even a small percentage of the time but sometimes it does but to go in and see a new comedian's energy and passion for it it's like uh it's great like a little fountain of youth there
2: yeah and then one last one um i heard you talk about keeping all of your hotel keys when you were featuring on the road <laughs> right. that way That way you could go in and get free breakfast at any hotel. (laughs) Yeah. Are there any other, uh, is there any other advice you have for saving money while on the road?
1: Well, Joel brought it up earlier. I would, um, if you know, if you have an off night, so I would either camp. I love camping. Some people don't love camping though. So I would either go to a, a, a state park and I would camp. Or my recommendation is always to sleep in, uh, in a Walmart parking lot because they have lights and they have cameras because truckers park there overnight. And, you know, rest stops don't have cameras, but Walmart parking lots do. So um, at least if you get murdered, you know, your family will have closure.
0: <laughs> closure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: I've heard you say that joke a few different ways in a few different interviews, but closure, yeah. I think that's the closure there. I think that's the, the wording of it. That, that nailed so. it. <laughs> <laughs> closure. <laughs> oh. Hilarious. I didn't mean to cut you off there, John. Was that your last
1: question or? Was... Yep. That's all I had. Nice. Well, Thanks a lot, John. And uh, good luck with everything, especially your kiddos. And uh, have fun at the open mic tonight.
2: Thank you. I will. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Good luck, John. Take it easy, Bye, Thank
2: buddy. You
0: See you. Awesome. And really, just the um, just kind of in closing here. And this Dan's been making a lot of uh, Dan Maynard has been making a lot of positive comments about you. That's and nice, um, just as we land this plane, he does mention about your ability to create a connection with the audience to make everyone feel involved. How? What kind of tips do you have for a comic? When it, when it comes to connecting with an audience and creating that genuine, authentic connection?
1: Well, I think being hungover and forgetting your set is a great place to start. All because right. then you have to talk to people and get to know them. No. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it depends. You know, it depends on what style of comedy you're doing. I am very genuinely interested in other people, right? So mm-hmm. I know the best way for everyone to have fun is to kind of knock down some barriers as we go. And uh, part of that is just talking to people and making them comfortable. I used to go after hecklers so quickly and so aggressively, and that's just young man bullshit, you know? So um, now I I try to engage, I try to figure out why they're heckling. Like I told you before, you know, someone calls me a racist or whatever, Mm -hmm. I would want to know why. I just genuinely am, I'm curious about people. And so I ask a lot of questions. And you know, I think hecklers are taken aback by that because they expect to be on defense. But I'll let you play offense. I just want to know what's what's making you yell at me. That's all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that can be scary for newer comics. So when you when you get a heckler, what is like what it what is your game plan at that point?
1: I don't really have one. I mean if if you are, I can normally now I can calm almost any heckler down again because I, I don't come over the top. I don't start a fight. I just want to know what's going on with them. Um, you know, when I was twenty five, and a thirty five year old heckled me. No thirty five year old on planet Earth wants to hear questions from a twenty five year old. To you know, no thirty five year old thinks a twenty five year old has any wisdom but now if I get heckled by a 35 year old, I'm 45. So now it's, it's switched a little bit where I can be, you know, I'm seeing big brother, dad, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's a little different because, you know, I have gray in my hair and gray in my beard. And I, I seem like I might know some things, even if I don't, I seem like I might. So I think that's helped quite a bit as well. But, also calming down and just taking the piss and vinegar out of my set has been fantastic.
0: Yeah, I found me smiling. I used to be kind of like furrow browed and a little more sure. of like, can you believe this? But as I smile more, the baby like it was the baby face works more if I'm more sarcastic as opposed to condescending, you know? Sure,
1: absolutely. I can see that.
0: So let's, uh, the final thing here, uh, we always end this episode with, and thank you so much for being so generous with your time. As My well pleasure. As Thanks know, for having me. Um, you've helped a lot of comics today. Um, we always ask, what is, what is your favorite, uh, piece of advice? What are like, do you have any closing advice that you could bestow upon this next generation of great comics?
1: Hmm. I should have had that ready. Let me just think for one second. second. Yeah. Guys, we're going to go dead air here for 10 seconds. No problem.
0: No problem at all. And thank you to everyone who has been tuning in as well, asking such great questions.
1: Yeah, thanks Thanks for everyone that showed up. That's uh, uh, fantastic. I really appreciate it. And um, hi to the people I know, and, and hi with this end to the people that uh, have just shown up now. Um, I would say stop caring about the outcome so much. That's gonna be what I say. I mean, let's, let's put comedy aside for a second and let's just go real life, right? You see teenagers, again, 21 year old and 16 year old, and they're going through a relationship or something and they see it kind of starting to crumble. And even if it's not a good idea, they hang on so tightly that they basically strangle the other person, you know? Um, But I think, and when I say don't care, I don't mean go up there in a robe and slippers and tell people to F off and all this stuff. I'm saying don't make it the end all be all because you're going to get something out of it, right? If you don't kill, you're going to get something out of it. I remember there was a set where when I was younger, I used to let the crowd dictate the jokes I went to. And I was like, oh, they like dirty, so I'm going to do dirty. And then one day, I just couldn't, no joke I picked was working. And I was like, well, forget it. I'm just going to do what I want to do and they can come along or they don't have to. And that's it. And I think once I let go a little bit, that helped a ton because then it was just, you're more emotionally involved in things you want to talk about. And so people can read emotions. I mean, we're social creatures. So if you're up there you know, I used to tell a joke for, I think it was like six straight years about hitting a pheasant with my car. And my buddies watched a set of mine once and they go, What were you thinking about up there when you were telling that joke? And I go, I was thinking about what I was going to order when I got off stage. How did you know that? And they're like, Well, your eyes glazed over and you became like a robot. <laughs> well, I think when you're emotionally involved in what you're saying, people feel it, you know? And then again, social creatures. If you're empathetic, emotions kind of feed off one another. So then the crowd kind of gets into it a little bit more. And um, so I would just say, that was a, you have to sum it up with three words. What did I just say for 10 minutes? Be patient. Boom. <laughs> be patient. Let it
0: go. That seems to be, yeah. Just be patient. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the process. Yep. I would say Beautiful. so. Well, is there, um, in the, uh, the closing, the closing bell here, would you mind looking into the camera and saying your name and why comics should listen to hot breath?
1: Sure. Hi, my name is Chad Daniels, and I think you should listen to hot breath because you may or may not get some great advice.
0: All right, Chad Daniels, everyone. Let's give him a round of applause. Woo woo woo. And where can, where can we go? Where, where, what, links can we share to help support you here, Chad?
1: Uh, you can, my website, Chad I'll have my tour dates for when I go back on the road. That's starting in January. Hopefully mm-hmm. we're seeing some spikes, so we're just going to have to be patient with this. Um, and then you can follow me that Chad Daniels on Twitter or Instagram. However, I need to let you know that I am off social media for one full week. I have uh, erased the apps from my phone because I need some peace and quiet. Whoa. So I thought it'd be a good time to do it.
0: So you're right now in the middle of being off social media.
1: Yeah. Just today. Today's day one. Today's day one. I am. However, we talked about Dan Maynard quite a bit. I am going to hop on there on my computer to read his message.
0: Be careful. Have you seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix yet? I have, yeah. <sighs> okay. It's yeah. be careful if you get on Facebook, that's the that's the gateway drug, you know. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll definitely share those links in the uh, comments and show description. And uh, Chad, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you well, so thanks much. Thanks for having buddy.
1: me, Andre. I appreciate it.
0: There you go, hot brethren and cistern. If you even found one tip in this episode helpful, Pay it forward to the next generation of great comics and share this with whoever you think needs to hear this. And this podcast has over 300 other interviews for you to dive into with Jeff Foxworthy, Angela Johnson, Cedric the Entertainer, and so much more. So what we have here is an educational platform for comics by comics, creating our own success. If you want to be a part of that, the best way to do it is to join our Facebook group. It is linked in the description. It'll take you into our group where we have over 2,000 comics around the world on this shared mission, as well as more information about our comedy courses, our workshops, our membership group, and all that will help you level up your own comedy. All of those resources are linked in the show notes for you to go to directly, or you can jump in that Facebook group, connect with me directly, and well over 2,000 other comics. So I'm excited to meet you in there. And until next Monday, right here on
1: Hot (sighs) Breath.